Take that! This is Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is a rebroadcast of an original episode first recorded with my father, Jeff Clark. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and this is a special episode where we are hosting the Skeptic Circle. And so I'm going to be joined by my father, Jeff, and what we're going to do is just quickly have a look at a lot of the posts that have been submitted and just have a quick introduction to them and then send you guys on your merry way. G'day, Dad. How are you? Good, thanks, Theo. For those of you who have never listened to our podcast before, go back, subscribe, 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 uh, or not. Um, the first thing I'd like to talk about is the, and, you know, it's it's a little um, biased, I suppose, because it's one of my posts, uh, but the reason why I'm putting it up that first because it is about uh, the overall arching thing to do with scepticism, and it's a post I put up, we have a thing called Words Worth Espousing, which is some words we think that are great words that are really get you thinking, or just good words to use in everyday language, and it's a two words that I came across recently called epistemological modesty. As essentially, uh, it, it came from, um, I think, a sociologist uh, who was writing about religion and so on, but basically it means what it says, epistemology being theory of knowledge, modesty being, you know, you, you, you say, I'm, I'm not too certain about something, or you, you, you withhold um, certainty in, in this sense. I won't say much more about it, except to put a link to it. To me, it basically says that's what being a sceptic is being about. It means that you simply say the world is... The way it's put in this way, the world is too complex for us to know, uh, and therefore you should take it, that into account in your um, in your uh, thinking about the world. You know, so that that's why I put up this post there. One of the quotes in that that says is the uh, the, the modern challenge is how to live with uncertainty, and the basic fault lines are between people with different beliefs, but it's those who hold them with an element of uncertainty, and people who hold those beliefs with certitude. And I think when you're a skeptic, you got to hold, you have to hold your beliefs with an element of uncertainty. Um, and if you hold them with certitude, then you're not really being skeptical. And that's why I said in the post that, well, you know, isn't that being uh, epistemological uncertainty should be synonymous with skepticism but it kind of has a fancier terminology to it. First uh, post that I've got up is um, a a post by Karen Stoltzner, who's now the uh, editor of The Skeptic, the Australian Skeptic magazine, and the first edition, I believe, should be in mailboxes this week or so for any subscribers. And uh, she's done a post about basically reclaiming the word scepticism, um, although she has framed it in her own unique uh, linguistic way, or a cunning linguist way, as she would put it. Karen's whole post is basically about reclaiming the word sceptic and about how some words can have different meanings to them. Most of hers were dirty words, which is uh, no surprise if you get to know Karen. Um, but yeah, you know, I think she's made a really good point about reclaiming the word sceptic, which I actually think is starting to happen anyway. Yes, I think the um, the strongest spelling for me is with a K, so sceptic can be spelled with a K or a C. I always spell it with a K. I, I don't know, quite know why, but it just um, seems to... Um, be stronger in the way it's said, uh, with a, a, a hard K rather than a soft C. And um, I, th- I think sceptic um, is often used by people who are self-described sceptics, but used in a fairly loose way. So an atheist might describe themselves as a sceptic, but they might in fact not be sceptical at all um, about their um, outlook on life, the universe and everything. 
um, a Christian, a dedicated Christian fundamentalist might call himself a sceptic. They might say they're sceptical about science and evolution. Um, and they're not really because they're not uh, uh, looking first at the evidence and forming their opinions based on evidence. It's also impossible for anyone to be a sceptic across every domain of life. I think that's one of the problems. So it's best if you say that um, I'm a sceptic when I look at information and uh, when I'm um, skiing or when I'm um, scuba diving, I'm just a person. I'm not a sceptic. I'm not acting as a sceptic under those circumstances. Yeah, and just back to the spelling, I think the main difference is sceptic with a C looks too similar to septic, which is why I've always had the bad connotation with it. It starts. Okay, the next post I've got is from Providentia, um, a biased look at psychology in the world, and it's a historical piece about um, Patience Worth, who basically was this supposed... uh, It's about automatic writing and channeling and all that kind of stuff and about the history of this one uh, example from the early 19th century. Sorry, early 20th century, so about 1913, about a woman called Pearl Curran who eventually, you know, did some spiritualism, um, did a Ouija board and all that stuff and then started doing automatic writing um, and brought across this woman from across the sea called Patience Worth. And so it's a really classic, one of those first examples that got pretty famous and actually made her money. You know, so it was like one of the early John Edwards type people that actually could make money uh, by doing this kind of, you know, spiritualism work. So yeah, it's an interesting piece if you, especially if you, you know, it's a lot of, just goes to show this stuff has been around for a long time and really has not changed much at all except for the the kind of the fashion in the way it's delivered but it's still essentially the same kind of stuff so go have a look at that post uh yes i I, i've not come across uh, automatic writing as such but i have come across automatic lecturing um i've been teaching the same courses for a number of years and it is possible for me to um sleep and give lectures at the same time and i am on automatic pretty much so I, I do understand the concept of automatic speaking but automatic writing I think the only one the only instance of that I can think of is possibly Jermaine Greer in all of her books after the female eunuch she seems to have been possessed by demon from uh, maybe the 14th century uh, with paedophilic tendencies um, and uh, that demon seemed to have possessed her and uh, resulted in her other publications. Uh, The next post uh, I'm going to have up is um, from Josh Zielinski, I hope I pronounced your name right, Josh, uh, Religion, Sets and Politics blog, and he's done a post on electronics and the supernatural, which I think is a pretty interesting idea in that um, essentially he talks about the fact that people don't actually understand how electronics work and as a physics teacher you know i have dealt with this a little bit um and it reminds me a little bit about arthur c Clarke talking about the fact that you know technology in 50 years from now or 100 years from now would look like magic to us um but certainly then he actually talked about specific examples with people talking about you know ghost hunters using their little um different uh you know, they might use a, a something that detects magnetic waves and so a, a gauss meter or something like that and then go, oh, look, there's ghosts around because they're waving it through the air, which, of course, is waving it through the Earth's magnetic field. But, you know, in all the different different ways people use electromagnetic stuff, Ghostbusters, of course, being the classic way, but that made complete sense to me because Ghostbusters is awesome. And, you know, talking about the um, 
uh, pareidolia and the EVPs and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting um, look at the popular culture of the paranormal in terms of um, electronic devices, which is probably not something that people think about that much. But yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story, really interesting post, and something I hadn't really thought about, even though now in hindsight it's blindingly obvious. So thanks for that great post, Josh. Uh, the other thing to remember is that you've got to distinguish between documentaries and fictional accounts when you're looking at these sort of issues. So as we all know, Ghostbusters uh, was actually a documentary, whereas something like Star Trek is obviously written and is uh, performed by actors. I just thought I'd throw that in for clarification. I think it's the other way around, actually. I think Star Trek's a documentary, because <laughs> I've always thought you could make love with aliens. <laughs> Captain Kirk does. Teach them, teach, them, teach them about love. He's a legend. Yeah. Okay, the next one uh, is from Bay of Fundy. It's a post, essentially a bit of a satire on intelligent design, and he's taken um, post, um, so Ron Britton, sorry, uh, has taken a, a post from Phil Plate from Bad Astronomy, uh, the 10 things you didn't know about the sun or don't know about the sun, and he says an example, it's an example of how real science works, and from item number six from Phil Plate's uh, post was about the physics involved in uh, what the sun should be doing in terms of emitting neutrinos and so on. The problem was that you couldn't find all those predicted neutrinos, and so you know here's a, here's a, a problem. The argument of, there's a gap in our understanding, and so you know does that mean the whole theory is wrong? No, it doesn't. It just means you need to do more science to um, find out what's going on, which of course is what happened. So yeah, another really a, interesting way of looking at how science works, and then comparing it to the controversy inverted commas around. Uh, in, evolution and intelligent design so head to Bay of Fundy to have a read of a really great post and learn a bit about the physics of stars as well okay so the next uh, post I'm going to put up is uh, one from Socratic Gadfly and it's about why Schrodinger was wrong about his cat now I'll be the first to admit that um, my understanding of Schrodinger's cat is only very clear whenever I read about it from someone really who writes about it very well um, and explains the whole paradox again, um, which wasn't the point of this post. This post was actually to say that, that well, Schrodinger was wrong in, in terms of his interpretation of quantum mechanics. So I'm not the best person to talk about this, so there'll probably be a few other um, physics uh, geeks out there who know more about quantum physics than I do. However, I still think the the... This post here, I won't really go into it, um, except he uh, basically says that it's it's a, it's statistical mechanics, which I do remember studying at university, although it's been a while since I've done anything like that. But certainly, from what I understand of Schrodinger's cat was the point that it's to do with the wave-particle duality and the fact that when you observe uh, the electron or whatever fundamental particle, it then collapses its wave function into the, the particle. The evidence for that is pretty clear. For example, the electron diffraction um, experiment where if you fire the electrons at the double slit, you get, um, and my dad's nodding off here, but bad luck because I think this stuff's great. When you fire the electrons at the double slit, you get that diffraction pattern. But then as soon as you observe one of the slits, <laughs> when you observe, any non-physicist turn away now. When you observe one of the slits, then all of a sudden you get the normal um, spread, the smeared out spread, and so that act of observing actually causes the wave function to collapse, which I think is pretty um, well established that that's what's happening. But anyway, I'll leave it to uh, people with a, more of a background in physics than even I have, or moreover the time to go back and look at it, because yeah, I, 
I just haven't invested the time to go and investigate it properly, but it was certainly an interesting post. So go to Socratic, uh, Socratic so Gadfly. Many wasted lives. So <laughs> many wasted lives. Yeah, you know, quantum physics is only the basis of all our modern technology, but anyway, you ignorant bastard. <laughs> Okay, the next one to look at is uh, Todd Carroll, The Skeptic's Dictionary, and his post about Andrew Wakefield, and Andrew, Andrew Wake, Wakefield we covered in some depth in our previous podcast. He was the scientist who... Um, Sorry, scientist with inverted commas around the name. Yeah, he, he was the scientist who published a paper in a prestigious uh, medical journal, which has lost some of his prestige in recent years, about um, uh, reactions to vaccines, childhood vaccines, um, uh, which is a paper has since been repudiated by some of his peers uh, who were involved in the research. And uh, it's provided uh, the foundation for an anti-vaccination movement. Um, so this this is discussed in some depth in this post, and um, there are also hot links right through the post. So if you want to follow up any of the particular aspects of the critique in more detail... Um, those hot links are very useful and I'd encourage people who do post to uh, our uh, website to put in hot links because uh, they're ways and means of verifying the truth or otherwise of claims made in posts so um, don't just rely on the post but uh, follow the hot links and you'll often get to better sourced information and information you can compare and contrast with other sources. Yeah, and just to add to that, of course, if you haven't actually seen the Skeptic Dictionary by Todd Carroll, you really need to because he's got everything from, is it Abracadabra to Zombies or something like that, I think is how he advertised it. So again, it's just that he's obviously, yeah, Abracadabra to Zombies, I got it right. So yeah, it's just that uh, he's obviously updated the Andrew Wakefield thing, so um, good on you, Todd. I love your work and I always frequent the um, Skeptic's Dictionary when I'm trying to find a shortcut to something that Wikipedia can't answer as well. Hi. I'm Alistair Tate, host of the new bi-weekly podcast, The Pseudoscientists, the official podcast of the Young Australian Skeptics. Join Elliot Birch, Dali Breedis, Jason Ball, Jack Scanlon, Tay Rush and myself to hear what our generation have to say about quackery, science and the issues that concern us. Subscribe to our podcast located at youngozskeptics.com. The next post is from Homologous Legs from Jack Scanlon, who's one of the members of the Young Australian Skeptics and their podcast, The uh, Pseudoscientists. So if you haven't heard that, you really need to go listen to them because, um, you know, there are... It's, you know, it's a good podcast and also it's just impressive because of some of the young ages as well, which I know we shouldn't necessarily, um, you know, that shouldn't really make a difference, but it's still impressive if you're 16 or slash 17, which is how old Jack is. Um, and... And happy birthday, I think it was just your birthday recently, I read on Twitter, I vaguely recall. Anyway, it, this post uh, is simply about um, about gene duplication and how uh, creationists and intelligent designers try and use that as evidence against evolution, apparently. Jack's gone into great detail about it, because he's done a lot of, um, you know, he's been researching this and learning about this for a while. Yeah, it, it's very, um, you know, the detail is really impressive, and... Basically, he looks at some of the, the claims made on Intelligent Design website and he rips into it and does a very good job of deconstructing it and showing where the errors lie. So, well done, uh, Jack. Yes, uh, just a warning that Jack appears to be some sort of prodigy and uh, so those like me that like to stay away from really smart people 
might like to avoid his post uh, altogether. Um, I do like to mix with people that are not very bright uh, because I walk away with a, an enhanced self sense of self-esteem. So keep those letters coming in and keep those emails coming in. Are you the brain specialist? The good thing about that is our listening audience won't get that you're just insulting them then because obviously and the ones that do get it can assume that it wasn't directed actually at them so it's a win-win okay the next post is um from a whiskey before breakfast and it's um from seth uh manapo manapio i think that's how you pronounce your name seth sorry if i got it wrong and it's really common thing that you see on American sceptical blogs is the battle with creationism and intelligent design. It just... It it makes me want to cry, really, because it's just not an issue here, really, in Australia anymore. You get your minorities, but it's just such so not a big issue. We don't even think about it. Never even brought up, except for the occasional derision and laughter that it deserves. But you know, it's just literally not an issue, and so it just must get really depressing uh, over in the US to have to deal with this all the time. But anyway... Um, uh, Seth's done a post. He's looking up. Uh, he says he's been reading a lot of military blogs lately because they're fascinating and whatnot, and you know, and they certainly are. And it's great that we can see what's going on in those situations. But he looks at an example of a, a misconception to do with evolution, um, in particular about basically the misconception is to do with Lamarckism, where people actually think the mechanism for evolution is Lamarckism, whereby you alter yourself, and that alteration will be passed on to your uh, next generation. And the example was, um, you know, if Jews have been snipping off their foreskins for 6,000 years, then why are they still born with foreskin? And that's supposedly a retort against evolution. Well, it is a retort against Lamarckian evolution, which no one believes really in anymore, except perhaps to do with the immune system or something like that, I think I've read. Uh, but certainly, um, it's a good post. But also, the other thing he looks at is about how to engage with people who come from that point of view, because Seth does talk about the fact that he, when he first started engaging with this person, he was a bit snarky and so on, and how that... You kind of can't help it, but that ends up backfiring sometimes too, which he acknowledges, which I think is a really good point um, to talk about as well. So a really interesting post, and if you go link, look at the other links that Seth went to, you can kind of see the levels of uh, misunderstanding that are out there about evolution, uh, especially in the US public. Uh, the thing that surprised me about this post is that um, it wasn't um, mentioned that Lamarck and Darwin were identical twins, and... Um, one of the amazing things about their two theories of evolution is that they, the mechanism for evolution was completely different, and yet they were identical twins. So, in fact, this is good evidence that it's uh, nurture rather than nature that is, that is dominant in forming people's ideas because um, Lamarck was a complete bloody idiot, uh, whereas Darwin, was, everybody knows Darwin, was an absolute genius. You've got the size of the head. Look at a picture of Darwin. Look at the size of his forehead. It's just a massive forehead, and it should have genius tattooed on it, whereas um, the only picture I've seen of Lamarck, he was with an orangutan, and the caption didn't say whether he was on the left or the right, and I honestly couldn't tell. I'm hoping at some stage you'll offer something serious to this discussion, but <laughs> I don't know that's going to happen. <laughs> We've got one post to go, so we'll see. The last post that I'm quickly going to look at uh, now, anyway, and there'll probably be a few more I'll get emailed to me, um, is from Greta Christina's blog. Greta, I was debating whether to put this one in or not because it is, it's about atheism and this is the Skeptics Carnival, um, but I decided I'd put it in because, A, I'd rather put stuff in than not. 
but B, even your post or Greta's post uh, was about the shut up, that's why argument, she calls it, but basically it means that when people don't want to hear the truth um, of the matter, and she gives a really good anecdote and interesting story about when someone kept digging into their family history and found out the truth that other members of the family didn't want to know. And in that, I guess that's a, way, a kind of simple-minded certitude but it's it's a and so that does apply to skepticism as well because there are people have investment in particular areas of life or things they've you know products that they're trying to sell or um you know they're they're a homeopath or whatever and they don't want to know the truth of the matter so you know shut up I don't want to hear it I'm not listening um, and so that's why that that whole way of thinking I think is is um, something that skeptics have to battle against so yeah the post is mainly is about atheism and atheism versus theism but I think that type of thinking. Um, is something that can be tied in with scepticism as well. So on that note, I will have decided, yep, this is a worthy contribution to the sceptics uh, circle this time around as well. Uh, but yeah, the, the, it's called Curiosity and the Shut Up, That's Why argument. Thanks for that, Greta. Gret- the next post we can have a look at is from Andrew at Evaluating Christianity. And... Uh, it's an interesting post, and also at the same time, it was completely uninteresting. And that's no slight on you at all, Andrew. What I mean by that is it's a post about the fact, well, something that I didn't really know much about in terms of Christian apologetics, and that is that what he calls the minimal facts model. Um, and the name of the post is, Why is the minimal facts model uh, unpersuasive? And Apparently, and I didn't know this until I'd read Andrew's post, there are Christian apologetics who essentially try to establish the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, now, for me, it's just uninteresting in that I, I just can't see how it's even possible for that to, to have happened. I can understand how it's possible that people believe that happened, but you know, it violates all the laws of physics, etc. I suppose that's why it's called a miracle. But so it's uninteresting for me because I'm because I'm not a Christian. But it's interesting in terms of the psychology of it and the rationalisations that go on, uh, and also then how people, inverted commas around the word interpret, uh, and then also inverted commas around the next word facts. And so it's a looking at essentially how the Christian apologists interpret these facts. As he calls the minimalist facts because there really aren't too many to look at. Uh, in the way so they can therefore conclude that most people, most Christians, accept the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Now, I have heard Christians talk about this before and saying that that is something you have to accept as fact, otherwise the whole basis of Christianity uh, falls apart. So I can understand that sense, but in, in sense of you, you're setting yourself up for a failure in any religious uh, belief system if you are going to propose something that, uh, in theory at least, we can test. I mean... One day maybe we will have time machines and we can go back and we can have a look and we can see whether it really did happen or not. So yeah, I mean, so it is an interesting post in that it certainly taught me something I didn't know, but I, in terms of the fact that people argue about such things is just, yeah, I, I have no comment. It's just odd to me. But then again, I like arguing about pointless crap as well, so maybe it's just everyone's got their own different type of pointlessness that they like to argue about. Who am I to judge after all? The next post that I'm going to look at is by Danny Boy at Verbal Razors. The post is called 
Feng Shui used in 90% of RP businesses. Now, that figure uh, supposedly is um, a made-up fact, but it's the figures are a bit made up, but it's close to the truth, and it's looking at Feng Shui uh, in the Philippines. And apparently talk shows routinely have Feng Shui experts as guests. Uh, there are whole radio shows on it. There are columns, there are tabloids and broadsheets and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting that around the world, I guess, there are going to be different types of popular woo-woo, and they'll be different around the world. And Feng Shui certainly has made an appearance in Australia as well, but I wouldn't say it's a mainstream appearance. Most people might have heard of it, but they probably wouldn't know much about it. There was a fantastic Foster's ad, if you haven't seen it, uh, Foster's the Australian beer that no one in Australia actually drinks. They had an ad where someone hired some Feng Shui gurus to come and redecorate their apartment. They were a crack squat squad of Australians. They came in, they took every single thing out of this person's apartment or out of their house, except for a large recliner chair, a TV and a beer fridge stack with Foster's. That's what I call good Feng Shui. The next post I want to look at is from Aardvarkology over at Science Blogs from Dr. Martin Runkvist. I'm probably pronounced that name wrong. Sorry, Martin. And I really enjoyed this post because it's a really good example of scepticism in action in the real world and how arming yourself as a skeptic, just in simply in terms of asking people questions, can you can defend yourself from potentially bad decisions. Post is called Gonzo Investments Suggestion and it's Martin's experience in the stock market, and what it talks about is essentially how he was tried to be convinced by his fund manager or the company that he was with to transfer to another reason, and I won't spoil the plot. It, again, it's a really good example of just simply asking questions of people who are trying to sell your stuff of any kind and putting them on the back foot, because often they don't have an answer. The last two posts I want to point you towards are from Kylie Sturgis of podblack.com, who is also hosting the next edition of the Skeptic Circle. So go there at the very least to send your new next posts. However, you should go there to have a look at a couple of really good posts that Kylie's done. All her posts are excellent. If you haven't seen her blog, I'm sure most of you will be familiar with it. There's a really interesting one that's an interview with Karen Stoltzner, who, of course, is one of our first posts in the Skeptic Circle, and she is the, as I said earlier, is the new editor of the Australian Skeptic magazine, so there's an interview with her uh, about various things. She's also, obviously, uh, both of them are on the Skeptic Zone podcast, so go have a listen to that podcast if you're not familiar with that one. You can find it on iTunes. It's also linked from my website. And the other post to have a look at, which I found really fascinating, is about the child psychic and also Dr. Chrissy Wilson who talks out about it on an Australian current affairs program called Today Tonight. This is a current affairs program that comes on after the news on one of our major TV stations here, Channel 7. It comes on about 6.30 at night. So it's viewed by a lot of people. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's a significant amount of people and we've got a, a, at least a, a an example of looking at this you know, psychic Australian girl, eight-year-old girl running these psychic readings, um, and then this 
at least we had a skeptical person who was interviewed on the show and links were put up from the show's website. So there is, it's slightly more than lip service being paid in, in these cases now, which is fantastic. So I can't comment for what it's like in other countries, but certainly in Australia, we seem to have a fair few, uh, current affairs shows that are taking a, a bit of a skeptical look at a lot of different things of late, certainly as far as I can tell, although in saying that, I tend to avoid those TV shows, so I might be stacking the deck a little bit, but I wouldn't do that, surely. Hello, Richard Saunders from Sydney, Australia, hoping you'll join us for The Skeptic Zone, the podcast for science and reason, with guests like Brian Dunning, Derek and Swoopy, Dr. Pamela Gay, Mark Mayer, James Randi, Ben Radford, Dr. Steve Novella, Dr. Carl Krasilniski, Dr. Eugenie Scott, Dr. Paul Willis, Dr. Phil Plate, and many more. You're guaranteed a good listen. The Skeptic Zone at www.skepticzone.tv Well, that was the 107th edition of The Skeptic Circle. That is a pretty impressive effort, and it's been a pleasure to host it for the second time that I've done it. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast version. I think that it's happened before that someone did a podcast version, but I can't remember who it was. And so my apologies to whoever it was, because uh, I think I was in that one too. But that was a few years back. And it, the skeptic circle just keeps getting stronger and stronger. So make sure you send in uh, any uh, post to the next one to podblack.com and... Make sure that you post up links to the, to my website for this edition of the Skeptic Circle so we introduce more people to it. The whole Web 2.0 thing has exploded in, in certainly in terms of skepticism. You can subscribe to my podcast, uh, Hunting Humbug 101 via iTunes. There's links all over the shop on my website and go back and have a listen. The podcast is a bit unique, I think, in that I don't know that there's any other podcast that looks specifically at fallacies. Obviously, there's the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe who do look at fallacies in their podcast. They also have their um, 5 by 5 where they look at them, but they're pretty short, whereas the podcast, Hunting Humbug 101, we spend you know up to 40 to 50 minutes looking at a fallacy with different examples, video clips and so on. Well, not video clips, audio clips of from video clips. And it's certainly unique in that sense, I think. I have done a lot of research to see if there are any, any other podcasts on fallacies, and as near as I can tell, there aren't. Admittedly, my research was to type fallacy and podcast on Google, um, and admittedly, my podcast doesn't come up in the search terms either. However, I think that's pretty um, unequivocal uh, in saying that my one's the only one out there. It's just that Google doesn't have a very good search engine, as we all know, and they don't know how to rank things properly. Uh, so yeah, ha- please go back and have a listen if you like the podcast. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to it. Give us a link. Give us a plug. It all helps. Write us a review on uh, iTunes to the regular listeners who have got this early edition of the Skeptic Circle. If you haven't seen the Skeptic Circle before, uh, it's it's really good thing to subscribe to the RSS feed so you know when it's there. But it's every fortnight, and it's always hosted a different blog, so you come across blogs that you might not otherwise have seen. So it's a really good way of uh, looking for different skeptical points of view. So I do recommend highly that you subscribe. Volunteer to host. ORAC is always on the lookout for more hosts. Okay, well, I'm going to stop dribbling on or, or dribbling and dribbling on. So 
To my regular listeners, you'll hear from me again in a couple of weeks. To any new listeners we picked up, welcome. Go back and listen to the past editions of the podcast. Get on right iTunes and write us a review. Uh, it'll give us a link from your own website or blog. That'll be fantastic. Make sure you promote this Skeptic Circle and promote the next one and submit your post to the next one. Good on you. I'm Theo. And I'm out of here. Hi, this is Theo from SkepticsFieldGuide.net and the podcast Hunting Humbug 101. Each week I'm joined by my father, Jeff Clark, and we discuss a particular logical fallacy with real-life examples of fallacies from pseudoscience, science misconceptions, politics, philosophy and the media. Hunting Humbug 101 is a companion podcast to our book, Humbug, The Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies in Thinking. You can download them and subscribe to our podcast, obtain a free copy of the ebook version of our book, Humbug, at our website, www.skepticsfieldguide.net. Dear, oh dear, how embarrassing. I, I, my apologies, I have no idea how that ad for my own podcast slipped in there at the end. I'm just, I'm quite mortified and it'll never happen again. But look, now that I'm back again, I feel a need to allow a pretty late post to, to arrive into the skeptic circle. Two posts, as a matter of fact, from Bronze Dog. How can you say no to the Bronze Dog? I hear you say, of course you can't. And he submitted two posts. The first post is called The Barrier to Macroevolution, and it's a really clear example of why you can't have macroevolution. turns out the creationists are right. Microevolution, not a problem. Macroevolution, no, because essentially there is the perfect form of an animal in heaven, and whenever there's some kind of genetic mutation that would make it not be that perfect form of that animal, essentially some magical fairy creature called Plato comes down and stops that gene, uh, snips the gene out of the genome. So that explains it perfectly well to me, I'm convinced. The other post from the bronze dog is about white crows. It's specifically to do with inductive reasoning, and it's an argument he's obviously been having with someone called Mr. Freethinker, who I don't know who that is, but I'm going to go find out because he sounds like an interesting dude. And it's about the burden of proof and how the burden of proof can be shifted. The burden of proof is a fallacy that we've looked at in our podcast, so go back and listen to it. Don't make me have wasted that ad in vain. I mean, sorry, that ad slipped in. Accident, accident, I promise. It's really interesting that a lot of people don't actually understand that, that they're doing it. And again, the burden of proof lies with those who are making the claim, as Bronze Dog correctly identifies. All right, this time I'm definitely out of here. I've got to get this puppy up on the web. So that was a rebroadcast episode of Hunting Humbug 101. For more information about the show and the book, Humbug the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments, head to www.skepticsfieldguide.net. <laughs>